0: Mission Daily is brought to you by the Twilio Signal Conference. Join the mission team on October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And when you join us at the conference, you can use the code MISSION20 to get 20% off.
1: We are here in an undisclosed location. Just kidding. We're a WeWork in the Embarcadero. If you hear things going on in the background, that is because we are in a WeWork in San Francisco. And I'm here with Patton Murphy for the second time because we just couldn't have enough of you. Patton, how's it going? It's going. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for visiting us. All right. So we wanted to kind of dive into a little bit of how WeWork sees the future of cities from a big level. And I think the reason why we wanted to do this is there's so much going on with WeWork specifically and shaping Really, hundreds of cities across the world, and we kind of wanted to go from a big picture and then work our way down a little bit more granularly and just look at how does wework see the world, and how do you kind of see the future of cities taking shape
0: yeah no no it's a it's a big question so you know the way that we kind of think about this is is we look and we kind of see kind of that there are three massive trends that are happening, and that's unprecedented urbanization the rise of the millennial generation, and then finally this rub between technology and humanity. And so on the urbanization piece, I think it's really important to kind of stop and like think about the moment that we're actually in. So in 2007, it was the first time in the, the history of humanity, actually, that more people were living in cities than not. So, and that's not just big cities like San Francisco and New York. That's, that's cities kind of globally, small ones and, and rising big ones. And by, actually by 2030, these, the numbers kind of vary depending on on estimates. But basically, Consensus is about that 70% of humanity is going to live in cities by 2030. So you have this really, really unprecedented moment of urbanization and space is not increasing. So, so you have this question of where will we all work, where we all live, where we all play. But then the, the second piece of it is obviously related is the rise of the millennial generation. So by 2020, 50% of the global workforce is actually going to be the millennial generation. And in, in, in major developing economies already, that's already the case. There are actually, there are more millennials in India than the entire population of the United States. So that's wild. Yeah, it's wild. So so you have this, you know, it's the largest generation in the history of humanity coming to age and ascending at the time when you have this renaissance and really the rise of cities. And then finally, this third bucket, which, and again, it, it, it all kind of connects, is this interesting rub between tech and humanity. And that kind of takes the shape in two forms. On one hand, there's obviously massive empowerment and disruption in the form of AI and automation. And and so the estimate there is that somewhere, you know, we're, we're obviously already seeing, you know, entire industries, you know, become transformed by automation and by technology. But the estimates, at least for instance, by McKinsey is that I think by 2030, somewhere between 400 and 800 million people will be displaced in, in their work because of automation. Th- those are big numbers. So when you think about in everything from you know, retail to driving to also basically every single industry, whether it's kind of what we generally think of as white-collared work to kind of blue-collared work, the, the world is changing. It's changing fast. And so, so we, we step back and you look at this and you say, OK, so we have this rising generation that's either flocking to or staying in or returning to cities big and small like. You have these massive changes from globalized markets and from automation. And what are you going to do about it? You can basically look at those things and you can be fearful. You can look at those things and you can turn inward and blame changes on someone else or kind of rebel against like these coming changes. Or you can look at it and say, you know, how are we going to come together? How are we going to come together as people, as individuals, as businesses, as our communities and our cities, and actually try to kind of wield these tides towards our benefit and help positively shape the future of work in cities. And so that's obviously what our view is. So the question is, is where does WeWork fit into that space, right? At a basic unit level, you have these folks all coming to cities, staying in cities. And yet the, that second piece of the technology question is like is this kind of paradox of, it happens to be 2007 again, when both the year when urbanization really hit the tipping point, but it's also the same year that the iPhone was introduced, right? And so over the last 10 years, we've seen this, this phenomenon where we all kind of became connected in the cloud our stuff all got connected, obviously, whether, you know, in the sharing economy. But this kind of paradox of the very technology that was supposed to bring us together, supposed to connect us, has actually left many of us feeling more isolated, many of us feeling kind of, you know, broken out into tribes, into camps, and importantly within our cities, without a common space, without kind of a a new town hall or a new town square. And so we're all connected in the cloud, but, you know, divided and isolated a little bit here on the ground in our actual city. So where WeWork fits in is kind of at the unit level We take buildings and transform them into into beautiful workspaces, whether it's for freelancers, small businesses, startups, Fortune 500 companies. The average WeWork will have about 165 companies inside of it, uh, varying from 1,000 members to 4,000 members. But you essentially have this great community inside of a building. And so we program that space with morning activities. Maybe it'll be yoga or coffee and bagels. And of course, coffee and beer is all provided and complimentary. But ultimately what what that creates is community so in the morning you might come in and be part of a rise by week class that's that's yoga or in the afternoon there might be a fireside chat with a CEO talking about you know the latest growth strategies to you know to get from 10 to 100 and at night we might have a town hall with the mayor but that's really at that building level and then what we start to do is we add additional buildings inside of a city and so what you have this interesting phenomenon happens when you go from one building to ten buildings to in the case of New York City we have more than 50 locations in the city, you actually get this network effect inside of the city where you can kind of actually see the city kind of returning to its original sort of vision as like a village. And so where you have citywide events across 10,000 members, 50,000 members, where we can actually kind of bring the whole community together at kind of a signature location. Or when you are working by yourself, you can work across the city kind of like a campus. So actually, Microsoft actually gave 30% of their workforce in New York uh, WeWork memberships and has kind of like office locations and WeWork all over the city. And so they actually call it a city as a campus model. So you can kind of work across the city. If you, you step one layer up from the city, then you start to say, OK, if you have all these cities with network density of WeWork locations around the world, what does it actually mean when an entrepreneur in San Francisco can connect with their design team in Detroit, then go you know, fly to Shanghai to meet with a partner at a WeWork the next day, and they're all kind of connected physically through this network, but also digitally through our member network. And so at the at the end of this, we're essentially building what is becoming the largest physical social network on the planet. And so that becomes very powerful from an individual perspective, from a neighborhood perspective, and then from, of course, a city perspective. So one of the things that I think I would love to dive further into with you is just
1: these idea of megacities, because I think this is something that people haven't really thought about because it's kind of a generation away from all of us, essentially. You know, we're talking about 100 years into the future, right? We're talking about, you know, roughly the year 2100. But we're talking about cities right now like Lagos, like Kinshasa, like Mumbai and places like that, that potentially could get to 50 million, 70 million, 100 million people in a city. Like this is astronomical. So like the data shows that By the year 2100, 13 of the 15 biggest cities in the world are going to be in Africa. Like the world is globally going to change and the needs of those people are going to change. All of those people are going to require new types of housing. They're going to require new types of jobs. They're going to require new types of community structures where they grew up, the towns, whether it's farming or otherwise, where they grew up and spent their younger years. They're going to move into those big mega cities and you know, I know you can't say what we were going to look like in a in hundred years from now, but using that as a thought exercise, like what are the opportunities there? Like what are the things that could possibly happen as we see those type of effects over the next, you know, 80 years that if those type of mass movements of people into
0: urban areas are happening, like what are the effects of that? It is the question probably of our generation, certainly the next at a high level, right? I mean, the, the way that we view this is we, we fundamentally believe that the future of work is also the future of our cities and the future of our cities will shape kind of the nature of our lives. And so there's kind of two pieces to this. One, I, and I think that I think we're in a pivotal moment where we will see progress go between big cities and their relationship with smaller cities as well, right? So, so first on, on, on just the megacity question, you know, a lot of cities are already there. Lagos is a, is a good example. Shanghai is a good example. Governments are already actually starting to plan around how to deal with this in different ways, right? And so the Chinese governments actually put a cap on how actually how large the population of Shanghai can, can get. And they've coined this kind of term of like city disease, like when a city reaches a certain size. And so if you get back to the fundamental question of like, you have this massive rising population going to these cities, we know, we know these folks are coming. At the end of the day, the space is not increasing, Right. So the fundamental question of where will we all work, where we all live, and where we all play, how will our our public infrastructure and our private infrastructure actually be ready to kind of absorb that? Is I think think is part of the beauty of where WeWork fits in, right? At a fundamental basis, we, we talk about WeWork as that we are a global platform for creators. So we provide the space, services, and community so that you can create your life's work. And so part of what that actually, what that looks like is the beauty of WeWork is design, using smart utilization and density and then ultimately hospitality and community. So if you look at the density piece in, in smart design just alone, imagine a city is like basically no different than, than a building, right, with a floor plate. There were kind of a, a couple sort of innovations over the last couple hundred years that it allowed us to kind of go up. The first innovation would be being able to have steel reinforced buildings. So the Flatiron Building, you know, iconic building in, in New York City was the first skyscraper to do this. That really allowed us to go further up. Right. The second innovation, of course, is the elevator allows us to go up without, you know, our legs getting too tired. But I think that the third innovation that WeWork really has brought to the table, if you think of like a city like San Francisco as a floor plate, seven by seven, 49 square miles, you're not getting more space. And so you can go up, you can put elevators in it. But ultimately, one of the powerful things about WeWork is that we're actually two and a half times more efficient with space than the average kind of office building. The short answer of what does that mean is it means that you can do more with less by having smarter utilization. And the, the overall effects of like what does that look like in terms of sprawl in terms of supply and demand marketplaces for, for folks who are trying to come into a city, it means that you can do a little bit more with less and that people who maybe who are already in a community, who want to stay there and create their life's work, folks who have a dream and want to come to a San Francisco and want to come and create their life's work, if we are smarter with the space that we've got, then we can actually build larger communities. If we're not, if we don't plan together, and this is one of the reasons why we work, work so closely with cities and with mayors, is that we don't see ourselves as just kind of, you know, one, one piece of this. We see ourselves as partners with private sector, with public sector, with nonprofits, of how we're going to build our cities together. So we started with one floor, our first location in New York, and then, and then we've gone to kind of thinking about how do we transform whole buildings. And now we're really working hand in hand with cities and with mayors, and developers to think about does the future of these cities actually look like on a block by block kind of basis. So we actively search out and try to work and develop where there's public infrastructure development, where there's public transit, because that's ultimately the decisions that we make. You know, there's a certain amount of path dependency of the decisions that we make today will drive what the city of, of the future looks like. What so that- yeah, no, 100%. I mean, like,
1: that's a really critical point. And I think that it's something that's lost a lot of times about I'll say certain types of businesses in the past, certain types of corporations worked with cities really well, but their end product didn't really affect that city. You know what I mean? Like oil and gas company, it's like, yeah, people were using their gas, but like they didn't shape the city necessarily. I mean, I guess you could make an argument they did, but that aside, they didn't, it didn't really affect it that much. But with WeWork, like where do you put a WeWork on a public transit stop on, you're like, that is very
0: obviously thought out. How do you look at placing those things? It's a conversation, and it's, it's partnership, right? And so we are constantly thinking about what the needs of a city are based on what we're hearing from our members, what we're hearing from our partners in the city, and within the, you know the, the mayors and EDCs and developers themselves. But it's a conversation, and and it it really does have to happen in collaboration because the reality is this ecosystem, you know, the employers, the actual workers, the folks who are living and breathing in these cities, the developers, the cities themselves. Like we we actually have to plan it together. Otherwise, what happens? what you see is sprawl. And so actually, uh, the second piece of this story, right, that's interesting is we will see the continued rise of, of megacities. But one of the things that's really interesting right now is, if you step really, really far back, why does a city exist? The city is old as kind of humanity itself, right? We started seeking each other out. The rise of kind of towns and cities and villages, is it's basically we, we work better together, right? We need each other. And so the reality is the reason why someone want to stay in the city that they're in today is because it's their home, it's where their community is, it's where the, where they've set their dreams. The reason why someone's going to want to move to you know a city, whether it's Shanghai or San Francisco or Delhi or Minneapolis, is because they believe that there's opportunity there for them and for their family and that they can create their own, you know, be part of a community. And so ultimately you're talking about social capital and opportunity. And so one of the things that's really interesting right now and where I think WeWork fits in is Emily Badger in the New York Times wrote a really interesting piece showing that actually... Large cities are not as connected to smaller cities as kind of they once were. So the value really of cities is actually there's shared value across them, right? So if we were can create, and we are creating this global physical network of cities so that individuals, businesses, and cities themselves can actually communicate and collaborate across kind of seamlessly and share that social capital, then what you all start to see is these positive spillover effects, not just within one city itself. We're already seeing this where like with kind of smaller cities, neighboring cities with large cities. We have an amazing, thriving WeWork location in Long Beach that is connected kind of to the ecosystem of the community of of the the greater Los Angeles area of, of WeWork locations. I think we have almost 15, almost 20 locations across greater LA. And so you actually have this thing where someone can live, if they're living in Long Beach and they have a small business, they then can tap into the social capital of Los Angeles. But that doesn't have to just be true for LA, right? And so as you're starting to see... These the next kind of these rising cities, the rise of the rest is kind of like you know how Steve Case talks about it. Whether it's a you know Bozeman, Montana, which we, we, we've talked about from Montana, or you know Kansas City, or a Nashville, or if, if it's London's relationship with Manchester, or if it's Shanghai's relationship with Hangzhou's relationship with Li Shui, those cities ultimately, if you create physical infrastructure that is able to connect them, you can share social capital across, so that you don't necessarily need if you're a single mom in Detroit or a kid in, in Bozeman, Montana, you don't necessarily need to move to that big city. You can actually access the social capital and, and the overall community value of that network globally. And that, I think, is a really powerful thing that obviously the rise of the digital economy has unleashed, but the missing piece of it has been space and that that physical connection. And I think that's something that where WeWork fits in and that you know cities themselves are ultimately platforms for innovation that are extremely powerful. And so the ability to connect those I think will both mean that those megacities don't need to necessarily become 100 million person cities if you can uplift the other communities as well. And so you start to see connected cities, I think. Well, and I think another way to look at this is that post-World
1: War II or even post-World War One, you had this rise of institutions like you know, athletic clubs or golf clubs yeah. or... My grandpa was in the uh, Elks Lodge. Elks yeah, Lodge, yeah. like all these sort of things, right? Like yeah. these social groups, obviously like Boy and Girl Scouts, like we're part of that. Obviously, there was like women's clubs, and men's clubs and all sorts of different things. But the idea kind of that you had this group that was close to you, that was nearby. But if you were in some other city, you could go into the Elks exactly. Elks yeah. Club and, or Elks Lodge yeah. and you could go meet other people what are they called? Elkers? (laughs) I I I don't know. Um, I apologize to anyone out there uh, who's a member, but that kind of idea. And I think that there's a lot of times in history where we kind of have to look back to look forward. And you say like, there's a reason for like that. There's a reason for, you know, institutions like, all of the ones that came out of the wars, like VFW and all these like, great organizations yeah. that put people together so they could talk about stuff, so they could talk about their experiences. And I think that one of the cool things about WeWork going forward is when you have members that can go to different cities and you could go potentially, you could do the, I think Airbnb calls the workation. Yeah. You know, a lot of people use that word, but that type of idea where you could go to a city, you could visit it, you could experience it, and you could also tap into your local WeWork, I think is a really interesting and innovative thing because it doesn't preclude people just based off of like the random clubs that they were joining.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And they share a kind of common purpose and, and and kind of mission and that that everyone's basically a kind of creator in their own right. And, yeah, they're and, working on something. And they're working on something. Yeah. And there, there's a, I think that's a thing that is really hard to describe about WeWork. It's one of those things when when you first experience it, you can't quite describe the thing. You're like, wow, there's something special here. Then it's like the magic that we talk about of community. And it, it's interesting. You can, you both feel it, but we also have recently measured it. So there's two parts to that, right? There's one, what does it mean for a city itself? And then to your point, what does it mean when you create kind of a constellation of places where you know you can, whether you're in Seoul or Shanghai or, or Detroit or Kansas City, you can walk in and know your home, right? And that, that's really powerful for a human. I think to your point of look past to look forward, basically during the enlightenment kind of period. And before then it was taverns and coffee shops in Europe. And it was tea houses in China where basically people would come together around shared tables and, and tea or coffee or beer. And, and that's going nowhere, by the way, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the uh, coffee shop, like look at the coffee shop, you know, rise of all of the sort of coffee shops around the world, like those type of things. And, you know, the taverns and bars and all that sort of stuff it's going nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a great thing, yeah. right? Because there are places where, you know, adding elements of work and play and all of those around each other where people can do their best work is super important. But anyway, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think the thing and that kind of evolved, like uh, post-war, a lot of that energy actually kind of moved to university campuses that are, you know, obviously massively important now to the, to the rise of the rest to these, to these kind of smaller and rising cities across the U.S. But, but it kind of moved to the university campuses. And now with the return to these cities, there that energy is there. But a lot of the stuff that you're looking for, and people kind of refer to this as like the third place, you don't find it necessarily in a traditional office. You don't find it necessarily at home or in a coffee shop. There's there's something where you're looking for more community and kind of more connection, and and that's ultimately where WeWork fits in. So like we, we basically have created every WeWork essentially becomes like an innovation cluster in in its own right. So. But, but hold on. So with the innovation cluster thing, this is a really important point because there are
1: lots of people in the world that don't feel like they're around other people working on hard stuff. And I think that that's a critical thing that when you're working in an office you know, for a small company somewhere – isolated away from a lot of other people you that's when you tend to feel alone because you have your first line supervisor or you know your colleagues at work and that's kind of it and if you want to meet other professionals like it's hard you've seen like there's a rise of tons of apps and different things about you know like you can swipe right and meet, meet meet other professionals in your area but i think that this this point of being around other people who are working hard on things that make a difference you can't really Know what that feels like until, you,
0: until you're you have in it. it. Yeah, you know that's right. And like, and, and to the point, your point of if you're isolated, if you're, you know, if you're working from home, or if you're in a coffee shop, or if you're in your own private office, the reality is you can't really plan for serendipity, right? So like, you have to then go set up a meeting or go set up a coffee. But part of the beauty of, of WeWork is that we we talk about serendipitous collisions. Again, like at the average WeWork building will have 165 companies in it. That's 165 opportunities for. Like stepping back, like if you talk about innovation and economic clusters, there are all these different economic terms that are pretty wonky, like IP spillover, and like all these different kind of things that essentially mean throw a bunch of well-intentioned people, some capital, and like a constellation of different sized firms into, into an area and see what happens, right? And that's essentially what, what WeWork provides. So we've actually measured it. What we found is that the data actually proves out that WeWork helps people kind of save, survive, and then thrive. And so it's pretty interesting. So the average for like a four person company the average company will save about $18,000 a year at WeWork versus a traditional office. So that's that just up front is interesting wow. uh, in terms of like getting started for smaller smaller businesses. And the savings are actually much larger for enterprises, you know, for for a new company it's actually, you know, that's the the difference between life and death. But the second piece is what we've actually found that that startups at kind of new new businesses that are started at WeWork are, I think, 12% more likely to survive after three years than kind of the average new company in America, which is important. And then the, the third thing that's interesting, you're talking about kind of serendipity and connecting with other people. 45% of all of our members have said that, that WeWork actually helped accelerate their growth. So that is basically speaking to the thing that we already know, which is that if you're surrounded by really like passionate people who are working on interesting things, you start to work together, you find business, you find partners, you start kind of doing all these things that naturally happen. But we basically create the, the environment and the community to kind of nudge it. And what we're doing now is is interesting. I'll kind of like contradict something I said, which is we can't plan for serendipity. But what's interesting is now is that we actually do. We build it into the design of our buildings. So actually our, our hallways are actually intentionally designed so that you kind of can't just walk past someone without saying hi. But also what we're now doing is being able to through our digital member network, we're actually able to allow you to, you know, whether you're you're hiring or you're gonna drop into, you know, Shanghai for a meeting or you're interested in, in kind of a common meetup or interested in taking a flat iron class, all of those activities and interests professional and personal that you're interested in, we can start to kind of help you connect because if, if you share uh, shared interest and we can connect you with other folks across the member network that maybe hey, Ian, you should meet with so-and-so who's in Shanghai right now, that sort of thing. It basically nudges community and serendipity. Um, but your, your, your previous point about that back to the Elk Lodge piece, I think what's kind of really, really exciting about where, where WeWork is going is that it kind of allows you the flexibility to either stay where you are or go where kind of wherever you want. And you see that is kind of evolving both for individuals and, and for for entrepreneurs themselves that you have a home anywhere you kind of want to go in the world but for enterprises as well what we basically found is like uh, almost half of the fortune 500 are now members of we work but it allows them to basically go where the talent is right and the reality is if you're building out in San Francisco but you also have an office in Shanghai there's a bunch of talent or opportunity in Bozeman Montana then you're able to you know expand and kind of have a global sort of network of of a team rather than thinking about it in terms of like kind of brick and mortar. So final question.
1: I want to talk about the actual most important thing for the future cities. And that is where people find love. <laughs> so I think what's really interesting, you know, we know that tons of people find their significant others at work, yeah, right? Yeah. But I think that there's something really interesting with something like WeWork, where you have a community manager, right? Yeah. So you have actual human beings that are in charge of the success of that community. Yeah. But like, do you have any stats on people finding significant others and things like that? I mean, there, you, there's there got to be tons of connections of things like that. And then also, do you have things now of... Are there off-sites? Are people doing trips? Are there plans for that sort of thing? Is there, you know, yoga classes yeah. and Pilates? Like, what's going on?
0: Yeah, so so what I would say is, like, one of the things that you kind of always joke about is, like, we host, like, 30,000 events a year. Uh, globally. Actually, I think we're at 60,000 now, yeah, which is pretty wild. So we kind of say, like, anything that is happening, it, you know, whether it's something happening in a church basement or or in a Hilton ballroom or a city hall, every part of your kind of, social professional and and civic life we want to give home to it and so whether it's yoga classes in the morning or you go you know to a rise by week class or you go go do a, a meetup an architecture tour meetup and all those connections all those that that human connection and collaboration we basically are trying to make that easier and more authentic and just kind of personal fulfilling so In the same way that finding, you know, a professional connection happens, finding personal connections and and partnerships, I think, you know, is definitely something that that happens. There's actually this really cute story. Two members actually met at WeWork Bryant Park is one of older locations. It's this beautiful historic uh, location right in, in New York City overlooking Bryant Park but there's actually this great story of two members who were kind of the first members in WeWork Bryant Park we revitalized this building and, and it was kind of run down for, for quite some time we we basically gave it a facelift brought back it's like a historic architecture and it's this it's a truly beautiful place and these two members met each other they fell in love and then they actually ended up getting married in WeWork Bryant no Park way. yeah yeah so so yeah I mean ultimately is that on the cheap or did they pay for it <laughs> I, 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 I don't know I imagine I imagine we, we helped them work it out. The reality is, is, we have about 60,000 events a year. You can make the most or as little of being part of the WeWork community as you want. We just came back from WeWork summer camp where we actually invite all of the global employees and, and all of our members to come. And we basically you know, have an amazing summer camp in pastoral England and there's kayaking and you're, everyone's sleeping in tents and there's music and kind of TED Talk style speeches and stuff. But yeah, ultimately at the end of the day, we say that our mission is to help you make a life and not just a living. And so... Anything that we can do, ultimately any activity or experience or industry that touches space and people, we believe that we can we can reimagine and reshape and redesign the architecture of our spaces and our experiences to ultimately humanize work humanize our lives and and help you know bring us together so yeah we're we're just getting started yeah I mean I guess final thing on that uh, this isn't a, a
1: pitch or anything like that, but I would say for the listeners like if you haven't checked a WeWork, you should just swing by. I mean, there's probably one in your city and you can hear in the background kind of the hustling and the bustling and there's areas that are quieter or more busy. But I think that it's a really interesting place and it's one of the most unique things. And we're super happy to have you on the podcast and
0: hang out for a little bit. So thanks, Ben. Awesome. Well, thank you. Anything Appreciate else? It. Whether you're a freelancer or a couple entrepreneurs trying to start up your business, we everything from a one-person private office, a 25-person office. We have a a Powered by We and HQ by WeWork models where Fortune 500 companies and and growth startups are, we're actually kind of helping them design their, their entire headquarters. So look us up, come join us. Thanks so much. Cool, thank you. Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the customer developer conference of the year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code mission20 at checkout to receive 20% off your tickets. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.